The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Well, welcome to this next edition of The Video Insiders. I'm Mark Donegan, and I have with me my esteemed co-host, second-generation Kodak engineer, <laughs> Dror Gill. Thank you very much, Mark. I am honored. It's not a laughing matter, by the way. It's very serious. I mean, sitting around the kitchen table when you were a kid, were you learning about MPEG-2? Uh, no. I have to say, as a kid, you know, my dad uh, was involved a lot in, in graphics and imaging and later video. So what I do remember as a kid, uh, he went to a conference that was called SIGGRAPH. And I think it still continues today. It's a special interest group on graphics. And he, he would come back from the conference with a poster. And the poster was just kind of a collection of squares, of screenshots. And in each screenshot, you saw amazing computer graphics, colorful, uh, 3D renderings, uh, things that are like fantasy, things like that. And I was shocked. I was amazed. I remember the poster. I think it was SIGGRAPH 1982. I was in 10th grade and I just hung it up on the wall. And I said, wow, you know, the progress we have made in technology in 1982, you know, I'm just a kid, but look, the computer can draw like a vase, you know, with flowers, which is perfect. And you can see the reflection of the light and the reflection of the table and things like that. Of course, you know, it took like a few days just to render the single image, but, you know, but still, I was really amazed by that and kind of hooked. So I think it's not really a coincidence that I went, you know, in the same way into image, graphics, video, because I always feel that this is the interesting stuff. You know, everybody has their passion, but personally, uh, dealing all day with photos and videos is much more interesting for me than to design a relational database or a new communication protocol. You know, that's kind of my personal passion. I completely agree. You know, um, I too in 1982 was, um, was a graphic artist using computers, except I had an Apple II uh, in my math department. You know, my school had one computer available to students. They probably had like three in the whole school. But the math department had one, and I learned basic. And so I would experiment with using ASCII characters and uh, to, to create images. You know? Today it's called ASCII art. Yeah, that's right. I would create these basic programs, and oh, it was uh, very crude as in, I'm, I can't imagine what it actually looked like, but boy, it was fun. And, and I just thought, wow, this is amazing. I'm making a computer create this image. So yeah, oh, it's wow. fun. And here we are today. And here we are today at, at the extreme of technology, video distribution, blockchain. We have everything in today's episode, right? Yeah, yeah. We are today. This is just a really exciting conversation. We say that about every, you know, we love all of our guests. We always have great conversations, but um, as somebody who has definitely uh, dabbled with Bitcoin and, and you know, I've, I've dug into the blockchain uh, and of course I'm, I'm a video guy. Uh, so this is just like super, super exciting. We are talking to Eric Tang. And Eric Tang is one of the co-founders of LivePure. So Eric, first of all, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you. 
Thank you so much for having me. I am such a big fan of Video Insiders. I've been listening to it for years, and um, you know, it's it's actually one of the first things that I listened to when I started working in the video space. So so it's coming for a circle, and I'm so excited to be here. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you very much. It's so great to hear feedback from our listeners and hearing that you like the podcast. It's great. That's what keeps us going, right, Mark? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So Eric, start with the Genesis story. Tell us who you are and, uh, of course, about LivePeer. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I'm an open source developer and an entrepreneur, and I, I was born in Beijing. Um, I, I grew up there and and I came to the U.S. when I was uh, 16, and I, I went to college uh, after that in, in Pittsburgh at, at Carnegie Mellon. And I went to kind of undergrad and grad school there. Um, did not finish my grad school uh, because I wanted to kind of get into the startup world. This was back in, you know, mid-2000s and after the dot-com bubble uh, and everything was coming back and it was so exciting. Uh, so I left and, and came to New York. Uh, joined a startup and been uh, kind of living in New York and, and working in the tech startup scene ever since. I started two companies before LifePeer and and LifePeer is a whole new different type of uh, company slash project. And um, I'm super passionate about this space that I get to work in kind of in between the blockchain space and, and the video space to uh, growing and super exciting, super deep uh, technical topics uh, and subjects, and that, that that's really uh, near and dear to my heart. Yeah, peer-to-peer um, is something that has been uh, with us for many years. On one hand, it, it makes a lot of sense to use decentralized resources for distributing your video, because the video is distributed from one source to a lot of endpoints, to a lot of users, but it's the same video. So you can save resources on distribution by having the users themselves who receive the video redistribute like chunks of that video to other users. And that makes the whole system uh, more efficient and you need to use less centralized resources. Uh, and this notion has been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's really good, you know, historical context around kind of, you know, peer-to-peer -peer systems have you know, existed since the '90s, right? I would say, like the the remnants of of that era is BitTorrent, right? Uh, BitTorrent is a running, uh, functional uh, peer to peer system. It represents a significant chunk of traffic on the internet. I think the last time I've seen is like fifteen to twenty percent of internet traffic or something. Wow. Even today, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Even today. If you really go back and, and take a look at why BitTorrent was created, like Bram Cohen created it not to pirate DVDs, right? People really created it for wanting to share um, information on the internet from a peer to peer perspective. And, and there's a lot of argument to be said that, you know, a peer to peer based information sharing, it has these like performance characteristics that are more fitting in some context than a centralized system, right? So for example, if you are behind um, corporate firewall, you know, a lot of systems are actually peer to peer, even for video streaming, right? We, we know kind of the ECN space uh, is, is very popular right now, and, and that totally makes sense. So when I think about peer to peer, I think about that in a slightly different context as decentralized systems. So I, th I think of decentralized systems very much as um, kind of this new type of system that is evolving, inspired by this new um, blockchain movement started by Tatoshi Nakamoto kind of Bitcoin white paper. 
Uh, but really, people have layered on so many other interesting features on top of just the pure decentralized value exchange uh, network, right? And to this point where decentralized system, especially for video, is, is not just about content delivery anymore. Uh, it's about decentralization of value creation, it's about decentralization of the computation. And also, of course, it's about, you know, there's a, there's a thesis around peer-to-peer -peer delivery, but um, I actually have some um, thoughts around that as well. But I, I just want to kind of introduce this concept that I think uh, a decentralized system is more than uh, kind of how people think about peer-to-peer -peer technology from a traditional sense. Yeah, I love that distinction, and I, I completely agree with that. I think decentralized systems and thinking of in that context is, uh, is, is far more helpful and really meaningful. And frankly, you know, with what's happening in technology, with what's happening in society, it's a good time to be thinking about decentralized systems. So give us the, the, the elevator pitch, if you will, about what you guys have actually built and then follow that up with how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, for sure. So LivePeer, as it is today, is a decentralized video transcoding network. And, you know, the ambition is to for LivePeer to be a full stack decentralized video streaming network that's a public good. And I think that's something that's um, interesting to just point out, right? Like it's public good in the, uh, in the sense that the source code is open source, but also the infrastructure itself is open access. Uh, so as someone who is building a video application, um, you can just directly access the public good, which is this running infrastructure that anyone can use. Just like if you're driving a car, you can just directly drive onto a road and, um, and the road is public good, right? So what we have built is this decentralized video transcoding network for live streaming. And also we're, you know, we're building VOD as well. Uh, but the idea is that if you're broadcasting video, uh, you can use the LivePeer network to transcode your video in a really scalable, reliable, and cost-effective way. Uh, that's way more than what a, uh, a centralized uh, system is able to produce today. Uh, and the reason that's the case is because there are lots of decentralized, self-interested participants around the world who are providing capacity into this network. And what they do is, um, you, you know, say if you have GPUs at home or if you have GPUs sitting in a data center somewhere, uh, you can download the open source LivePeer software. Uh, you can uh, run that open source software. And by doing that, you join the LivePeer network. And uh, the LivePeer network kind of provides economic security for you uh, so, so that if you know that if you're doing the work for the network, then you will be paid according to the work that you do. Uh, and vice versa, if you're using the network to transcode video, the network will give you economic security guarantee uh, so that you can trust that if you send your video into the network, your video will be transcoded correctly according to um, the way that you configured it, and you will get back the results in a timely manner. So when you join the network with your GPU, you're actually making the hardware encoder of your GPU available to the network, to others to use for live transcoding, right? That's right. And then if somebody wants to transcode video live, he or she sends their video over the network, and then it uses those resources that other people have made available. Correct. And is this kind of um, an open source project, a nonprofit, or is there 
some commercial incentive that there's a company here that takes a cut of all of these transactions. So not only the, the video streaming software is open source, the whole life here protocol itself is open source and deployed on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, so so there's, uh, there's no kind of point of centralization, right? There is a life care company that exists, and the life care company uh, exists with the mission of growing the life peer ecosystem and growing the life peer network. So while it's not a nonprofit, um, it, it, it has a very different mission than, um, than a traditional uh, startup, if you would say. Growing the network, but then what is the business model? I mean, does the company profit when the network grows? Yeah, yeah. So there are a few ways to, to think about the business model. The easiest high-level way to, to, to think about this is that because the live peer network has this big value, right? Video processing, uh, video transcoding on the public network uh, is about 50 times cheaper than you would get uh, on a centralized cloud service provider. Because of that, there's this huge value. But in order for people to actually use this open network, a lot of times people will need access to the network, right? People will need to... Um, use the open source somehow. And just like um, you know, open source companies exist in order to bring those open source technologies to the masses and serve those that want to use the open source project. And, and, and in, in exchange, you know, they'll, they'll make money from you know, selling support or selling a hosted service that gives people easy access to the technology. Right? LifePeer exists in a similar way where you know, there's two ways uh, that LifePeer makes money. One is uh, through a hosted gateway service to the LifePeer network. Uh, and that looks very similar to just your, um, your regular live streaming API where you, know, you get a RTMP ingest endpoint and you get an HLS playback. Uh, URL and everything in in the middle is handled for you, and then you pay with your credit card, right? And but under the hood, it uses a LifePeer network, um, and, and so that's one way. Um, but the other is, LifePeer also has this really powerful um, open source software, including what we're about to do is a is a really powerful open source media server, and. A lot of people can benefit from using this suite of open source software, not only to run their own um, media processing pipelines, uh, but also to be able to leverage the live peer network to scale their uh, kind of video infrastructure. Uh, so there, uh, live peer kind of uses a, a open source business model uh, to you know help other people use the open source software and and so. Uh, have like support contracts and things like that. I think I read you acquired a company, right? Was it Mist Server? That's right. That's right. They're based in the Netherlands. It's an awesome piece of technology. It's written in C. Uh, it's super performant. It has super low kind of um, memory footprint and can be run in embedded devices if you wanted to. But it can also be run in you know cloud hosted uh, environments. Uh, and it has a really close integration with the LivePeer network. So essentially what you can do is you know, run a single instance of Mist server and have hundreds of concurrent transcoded streams running through that single instance of Mist server um, and, and thus drastically reducing kind of the, the complexity of your video deployment. Amazing. So how do you tackle service level guarantees? Now, it's one thing if you're doing video encoding for, you know, your local school, but 
if somebody is running a commercial service or, you know, let's even talk about, I don't know, a house of worship or something, you know, where, Hey, it's Sunday morning and you know, we want our stream to stay up the whole time and not go down and maintain quality. And so that's great. I can save 50 X, but you know, so talk to us about the work you've done in that area? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And, you know, as someone who works in live streaming, right, like what you learn over time is that reliability is the foundation of everything, right? Like if you don't have reliability, you don't have anything. So that's definitely, you know, one of the cornerstones of how we build the technology. And it is kind of an interesting challenge, right? Because you're working in this environment where it's decentralized and somewhat anonymous network where any resource can just go out at any point, right? Like any, you know, GPU can just be unplugged at any point And then all of a sudden that GPU goes out of the network. So we've really spent a lot of time like building features so that these types of environments don't introduce any downtime to the ecosystem. Uh, and, and this is not dissimilar to kind of how Netflix thinks about their internal infrastructure. I, I, I don't know, like this is many years ago at this point when they when they first introduced this like concept of a chaos monkey. Like they have like a program in their infrastructure that will like randomly turn off computers and they'll like make sure that, you know, the service stays up. And so the underlining mechanism for LifeBeer is similar to, uh, in principle, right? Which is the entire workflow is redundant and robust enough so that if any of the resources in the network that's processing a video all of a sudden goes out of the network, that video just, just can quickly be retried um, by another available resource, right? So as long as there is abandoned resource on the network, um, it's totally fine. And that's exactly what happens on LivePeer. And we kind of have the benefit of having access to this huge cryptocurrency mining industry, right? Which if you, you know, if you really think about it, it's the biggest computation processing network in the world, right? There, a lot of them are just sitting there doing hashes. But, um, you know, with LivePeer, uh, if, you're, if you're mining with the GPU, uh, you can actually also be transcoding videos at the same time because, you know, those video encoders and decoders are not being used. Ah, I see. So the video codecs in hardware on the GPUs all of those GPUs that are mining cryptocurrency, all of those uh, encoders are unused. They're kind of idle. So you're taking advantage of that and using them for your transcoding uh, network. It's a latent resource. It's, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, you know, Eric, unpack that a bit because I know when I was exploring what you guys are doing, I didn't actually fully wrap my head around that initially as well. And so I was thinking more of like, I don't know, you know, why you'd have a crypto machine sitting dormant for a while, but you know, like, oh, okay. So there's a little bit of downtime and you're grabbing that, you know, so you're getting hundred percent utilization out of the compute, but it's like, no, 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 this thing is turning away 24 seven, you know, doing all of its blockchain tasks and you know, whatever, but these, these video encoders and these decoders are just literally doing nothing because they're hardwired in the GPU, in the silicon. Yeah. You know, that is one pool of like kind of untapped video processing capacity in the world that, that exists that, you know, we all know about and we can, people can have access to. But there's actually lots of these pockets of processing power that are just sitting 
everyday doormen in our daily lives that, that we don't really think about, right? And, th- and this is a point, um, you know, bringing back to the point of decentralization. This is one of the powers of decentralization, right? It's, it's the fact that you remove the central, central power that makes the decision of what capacity to use. And you give that power to everybody uh, that you just say, hey, everybody, here's a game, right? Here's an economics game. Uh, and here's a set of ins- really simple incentives. If you can figure out how to take advantage of, th- of this incentive, just not knock yourself out, right? And as, this is one of the interesting lessons that we have learned through kind of the Bitcoin network. At the very beginning is a bunch of hobbyists mining Bitcoin on their CPUs uh, in, you know, in their school dorms, right? Uh, very quickly, people got really good at doing that. And then it became like, oh, like people, we can write CUDA code to like, mine it on GPUs, right? And that lasted literally for about three months where people were like, actually, we can do FPGAs. That's a lot faster. People did FPGAs. And then people were like, oh, actually, we can just make ASICs, right? And people made ASICs. And now <laughs> there's ASICs. So the same thing happens, like this is our belief, right? But we believe the same thing will happen for any kind of computation, especially for video, where you know video processing is such a computationally intensive task, right? If you kind of open up the box and give the keys to everybody, then people can figure out how to take advantage and just find all kinds of different um, pockets of capacity and, and bring that to the network uh, so people, other people can have access to it. So this is really interesting because using LPT, which is the token, you know, if I do the math and I figure out, hey, I can sell my capacity for more than what it costs me to, you know, my, my CapEx and my OpEx and, you know, or whatever my costs are, I can make money. So you could have like machines running ASICs doing strictly video encoding, but using LPT, they could just be sitting out there on the live peer network available for anybody to use. And I don't have to go build a sales engine. I don't have to go build a consumer interface to go out and sell my, I could just focus on the engineering in the platform, right? That's right. Yeah. So you you already started to see this happening in the life pure ecosystem where hobbyists are trying to figure out how to do this, and and over time they become good at it, and they start to scale their deployment, and they start to think about like geographic locality, right? And so there's like operators on a network that are like, oh, like I'm gonna run a couple nodes in the U.S., some nodes in Europe, right? Like, and and then I'm gonna use like Amazon load balancing to like host um, a, a single endpoint that can then automatically geo load balance my, my video and then people are people are starting to build these types of systems how do you handle uh, delay because it is a live transcoding uh, network and delay is critical on the other hand your resources for transcoding are distributed all around the world and as you said sometimes they just you know turn off and you need to redirect uh, you know a chunk of video to another server which again takes time so how do you handle this with the delay constraints of uh, a live stream yeah yeah that's a really good question and and I, I'd say there's like a number of things that we do uh, one is that because there's abundant capacity out there what you can do is you can just literally double up right you can say for every live video I pick two GPUs from two separate providers. Right, so in case one goes down, I still have one. I'll just race the two, right? So whoever gets the, gets it back to me first, I'll use that one. But uh, on top of that, there's actually the registry of all the orchestrators or all, all the kind of capacity providers on a network. So your software knows about that list, and then um, it can, like, in the background, test 
each of them and figure out like, oh, like this one actually works pretty well for me, right? Uh, and then I'll just keep that in my back pocket. Uh, so in case one, um, the, the ones that I'm working with now all of a sudden goes out, I can just use that uh, that I know is working well for me, right? So there's these types of kind of decentralized, robust um, systems design principles that we can use to, uh, to make sure that the system as a whole is very uh, redundant and performant, even though uh, if a single node can, um, can not perform for whatever reason. So Eric, it would be possible for Drawer and I to moonlight, and then we could go out and get customers and basically have our own encoding service, stand up our own encoding service. Is is that correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you can do that today, actually. Um, in fact, the hosted gateway that we have at livepeer.com is completely open source. So if you wanted to, you could just fork that code, change the name, host it yourself, and start running a business. Wow, that's great. Okay, Mark, I think we have... Uh... I think some new video platforms were just born after this episode gets published. <laughs> there's there's going to be some enterprising engineers going, hmm, <laughs> I should do that. You know, I was being a little provocative right now, right? Like, so let's talk about why this is beneficial for the live peer network. One of the reasons is because going back to that, this idea of like, we want to build a public good. We want the live peer network to be as widely adopted as possible. The fact that this is open source, the fact that anyone has access means we, uh, we want to make it widely accessible, but it's also by design better when it's more widely accessible because um, the more people access the live peer network, uh, the more valuable the live peer network becomes. Um, and the more valuable the life your token becomes. And then there's more resources for the network to continue to grow itself and build more features on top of it, get more people to participate, right? And this is this kind of virtuous cycle. And you mentioned that this is kind of a first step, the uh, decentralized transcoding network, and eventually you want to enable a full decentralized live streaming, or you're already doing that today? Yeah, so um, we're, you know, we're being pretty mindful about how we uh, kind of grow the stack. So one of the things that we did fairly recently is, is adding other types of processing to the kind of the video transcoding pipeline, right? And, and one of the interesting things about the live here network is, you know, we're running on GPUs, right? So when the video is on the GPU and it's decoded, you can just send it, uh, send the decoded video to a machine learning pipeline that's on the same GPU to do machine learning stuff. And that type of um, operation is very beneficial from a performance perspective, right? Because that means you don't need to ship the video to another processing facility. You don't need to re-decode the video and, and kind of do the heavy task, right? It's already there. You just do the processing and then it's done. So, so you start to get the same type of performance benefits uh, as you do with the transcoding. And that's the topic of the, the Demux talk that I gave, uh, which is around kind of using FFmpeg to do um, content classification. So you're saying that uh, if you're already doing the video encoding on a GPU, you can use that uh, GPU for uh, doing additional uh, processing, such as uh, uh, running AI algorithms on that video uh, on the same GPU, right? That's right. So you, you mentioned FFmpeg, and yeah, we, we heard the, your Demux talk, and it's really interesting uh, because, you know, most of our listeners know FFmpeg as a video processing tool, you know, for doing demuxing, muxing, encoding, decoding, resizing, filtering, all of that. 
and you're talking about using it for AI processing. Is that a new feature of, of FFmpeg and which type of AI processing uh, does it support right now? AI processing inside FFmpeg is fairly new. I did a little bit of research around this before before the demux talk about like digging through the the commit histories um, in in the code base and the first thing that I found was the kind of the super resolution implementation back in 2018. you know there was a super resolution filter right basically allows you to apply this filter just like how you would apply any other filter inside FFmpeg and kind of scale up. A video you know from say from a 720p to a 1080p so that's kind of interesting uh, using this like super resolution AI uh, technique but if you look at how the part of the code base evolved in the past three years it's pretty astonishing like the the pace of change is so fast in, in that part of the code base that now we have like six or seven different filters already there and it, it can help you do a number of things and Uh, but it can also help you hook up your own custom AI models to do any kind of image processing. So that's really cool. And all of that is GPU based? Yep, all of that can be GPU based. So the way it works is um, that you can kind of plug in a machine learning backend, right? So the one that we used is TensorFlow, uh, but you, know, you can use PyTorch or anything else. And in the backend, you can hook it up to CUDA, uh, which is you know, NVIDIA GPUs. Uh, and from there, you can start to run your machine learning models uh, inside the GPUs using these machine learning backends uh, through FFmpeg. Really cool. How do you think about codec support and the fact that the requirements of video technically vary um, really widely? You know, if you're thinking of like more premium broadcast videos, type applications and then there's ad insertion <laughs> requirements and there you know there's a lot of very very strict requirements for what that stream looks like how it functions and then you go to the other side where it's you know maybe user generated and you know there's no DRM there's no you know there is no ad insertion there's you know so it's it's very easy right but how are you thinking about growth is there a particular use case or an application or are there use cases where you know you say technically um, it's going to be a while before we can get there or we're not going to get there and so we're just not even going to worry about those use cases are you trying to cover all the use cases like how do you think about that because that's another challenge with a video platform so you know currently the capabilities you know in the software that Does, you know h264 and AAC right uh, and that's you know we do that because it's the most commonly used uh, video and audio codecs um, however it is not too difficult to support other codecs um, and the reason is because the software integrates really well with other other software in the open source ecosystem right so while life peer does not directly uses FFmpeg it uses all the underlining libraries that FFmpeg is built with. Uh, and therefore uh, it can take advantage of other video codecs and the fact that life peer is open source means that in fact anybody can uh, go in and make their own fork and, and support whatever video codecs that they care about but also you know in terms of on the main branch um, I think you will you'll start to see life peer supporting more video codecs uh, pretty soon do these video codecs have to be GPU based or they can also be CPU based implemented in software In the main branch we're targeting GPU based uh, codecs just because you know that's kind of a pretty natural progression from where we are um, but 
the LivePeer software actually is also CPU compatible, right? So, so you don't necessarily need to run transcoder nodes on GPUs. Uh, and, and there you can you know, have any kind of CPU-based codecs. Yeah, I think HEVC would be natural to add because most GPUs already support it uh, for hardware encoding. Yeah, that's right. And you know, decoding VP8, VP9, things like that. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. And uh, sometime in the future, you know, probably uh, AV1 would be at least one of the new codecs because it really makes sense, right? We discussed it in our last uh, few episodes that AV1 is, uh, you know, catching uh, a lot of uh, momentum. Um, Eric, are you seeing it also in your discussion with developers and people who do streaming? Uh, are you seeing any interest in, in AV1, even though the GPUs don't support it yet? Yeah, I, I think people ask us about AV1 all the time, <laughs> just because you know AV1 is like a hot topic in, in the industry. Um, but also, I, I think there are some good reasons of why people are asking it from us. Um, because this, you know, LivePeer is this decentralized ecosystem and this decentralized infrastructure, right? So ideally, like, even though AV1 is only um, on CPU right now and it's fairly slow, um, that's, you know, one of the potential benefits of using a decentralized and distributed system like LivePeer, right? So you can kind of chop up the video into small chunks and, um, and not be slowed down by a single CPU or a single, like, multi-core CPU. You can distribute it to, to different locations and, and kind of parallelize your uh, video transcoding operation. So uh, another interesting question, and, and we touched on this, but I'm just curious if you can share more. You mentioned that even other hardware, so, um, you know, ASICs, for example, that could be plugged into the LiPeer network and could be available. Are there any examples of of other hardware that's that's on the network or can you give us some clues as to what's coming or yeah i think right now mostly it's gpus right and that, and that's the most popular thing but there are people who uh transcode with cpus on on the network as well and there's been some research that's um that's being done with other you know a, um asic providers so for example like i've actually heard the episode that you guys did with netint and they have this really cool architecture of like they're just compatible with FFmpeg. And, and that's a really interesting entry point uh, for NetIn devices to be deployed on the LivePeer network. Very interesting. And then I can see one of the architectural limitations of the GPU is, well, you're, you're limited by what the GPU supports. <laughs> but you have the advantage that GPUs are very performant. They're relatively low power consumption. You know, the power envelopes are much, much better than CPU. But then a purpose-built ASIC would kind of go even to that next level where you even get even better power performance, but you could, in theory, you know, for example, NetInt, you mentioned, well, they've already said they're going to support AV1. So if they were on the network, potentially your AV1 node <laughs> right there. That's right. And on the LivePeer network, each node has a kind of a um, capability list, right? So when the node joins the network, it'll say, hey, like I'm capable of doing this number of things. Uh, so a AV1 capable node uh, would just add AV1 to the list of capabilities. And so then the users would, would know about that. And can that operator specify a different cost basis or how does that work? Like, can you charge more? Uh, you can absolutely charge more, right? Like the price is set by you. Right now, um, the way you would do it if you're offering AV1 encoding is to operate AV1 node, right? And, and specify a different price. 
but I think this is a, a, a small optimization that we can do in the software to have each of the capabilities to be a different price. So can you share with us uh, who is using the live peer network today? Uh, do you have some you know, case studies, success stories of uh, companies or people who are using the network uh, for streaming today? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There are a lot of um, live streaming applications that, that use live peer. Um, so the network currently processes uh, around like, anywhere between two to two and a half million minutes of video per week. Um, that's just like transcoding the video. Um, and the applications are mostly UGC live streaming apps, right? And, and that, you know, it makes sense because, uh, you know, these applications uh, need low cost live video transcoding solutions and they have a lot of video on their platform that needs to be transcoded, right? Uh, so we've written a few case studies. Um, one uh, is with this live DJ DJing platform called Play DJ. They allow DJs to, to go and stream their DJ sets. Uh, and it's a live performance platform. Um, there's another one uh, called The Lot Radio, which is a really cool uh, kind of internet radio station uh, that they're, they're based in, in New York and Brooklyn, uh, but they, they live stream all of their sets on the internet and, and they have you know, DJs coming into their radio booth 24 seven from all over the world doing DJ sets. There are some larger platforms as well. Um, there's one user called Picardo.tv, uh, and you know we're, we're working on a case study now. They do um, kind of artist streaming. They're, they're kind of a, a more at scaled uh, platform that uses LivePeer. Are you able to give some, you know, some numbers? Uh, our audience is always interested in the facts and the figures. So any comparison, like, you know, for a dollar of what they're spending uh, these case studies on the LivePeer network, it would have cost, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It depends on how you use the LivePeer network, right? So if you use the LivePeer hosted gateway service, which is at LivePeer.com, you go there and you can see a, a calculator. Uh, so you can know exactly, you know, based on your usage, how much, uh, is going to cost you to use this service, uh, the hosted service, and and so the sticker price there is about ten times cheaper than the other t like kind of hosted services out there. So if I went to like kind of you know a typical platform that's been built on AWS, just as an example, I I can expect I'm going to save basically ninety percent. I'm going to get a ninety percent discount as effectively. That's right. That's right. Wow, that's compelling. Yeah, definitely. And what about uh, the flip side of the coin, you know, literally speaking, if I have a GPU and I'm using it for rendering computer graphics or mining cryptocurrency or whatever, how much can I expect to, to earn by handing over the video encoder in that GPU to the live peer network? That's a great question. Uh, and, and that's a much harder question to answer because a lot of that depends on where you are in the world. It depends on how well you perform. It depends on the amount of work that's available to you. So there's there's no like a one sentence answer to that. You, you know, the, the, the things that you said, uh, it's very similar to an Uber driver, right? How much does an Uber driver earn, right? Yeah, exa that's exactly right. Well, it depends right. where I'm you saying. are in the world. It depends, yeah. And it depends how good you are, what rating you have. And it depends yeah, yeah. how much work is available for you in, yeah. in your area, right? So it's very similar. Right. But but I would say if you are interested to like get some high level numbers, uh, they can they can go to the LivePeer Explorer, which is at explorer.livepeer.org. And they can see kind of for the orchestrators, how much the orchestrators are getting paid by the network uh, on a on kind of like a per cycle basis. Uh, and, and, you know, of, of course, that information is dependent on, you know, how well these orchestrators perform and, and things like that. 
I see. Okay, so Mark, we need to do some business exploration before we... Before we start our venture. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I'm on your calculator at livepeer.com forward slash pricing. And for some reason, I'm just thinking like, okay, well, what if I was a church? You know, um, what would my cost be? And so let's see, I entered an average length of stream, one hour, 30 minutes. Let's say I do 20 live streams a month. And let's say I have an average of 100 viewers per stream. So I'm a small church. And my viewers watch 100%. I'm only going to spend $60 a month. Wow. That is like, that is cheap. Now, I do notice, I do notice something here. So um, you don't offer storage. So how are people handling that? If, you know, again, let's go with this use case of I'm a church. So basically, I'm not technical. You know, there's actually recording available is just the, the recording pricing is not available. So right now you actually get recording for free. Okay. You're right. You're right. Storage is currently free. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is uh, really, really super compelling and we're very excited to uh, watch your growth and um, wish you the best. Now, one thing, you have two websites, and you did touch on this, but it's probably worth explaining uh, the difference between livepeer.com and livepeer.org. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, livepeer.org is, um, is the home of the Livepeer project, right? Is, is this open source project, uh, open ecosystem. Um, you know, there's uh, a blockchain component to it, right? And, and, and really it's livehere.org as it stands today is, is more informational. Uh, it's, you know, documentation, uh, telling people how to participate in the Livepeer network and things like that. Um, and the livepeer.com website is a video streaming service. Uh, it's an API service that, you know, if you're building a live streaming application, uh, you can use uh, as your video infrastructure. Kind of the distinction there is that livepeer.com users uh, that are using they're using the API, uh, but the API under the hood uses the Livepeer network. I love the tutorial on your website. Uh, such cute uh, graphics, right? <laughs> yeah, I have to give you huge kudos to you know marketing and the and the technical documentation. Your documentation is just uh, really really good. So what does the future hold? Uh, give us a glimpse into, you know, what your roadmap is maybe over the next 12 to 18 months. And what are you really excited about? Yeah, I think one of the things that, that I'm really excited about is um, open sourcing MIST, uh, right? So we acquired MIST, you know, just a, about a month ago. It's, it's really recent and we're, we're in the process of open sourcing it. Uh, and after we open source it, it means there is this really awesome open source media server that anyone can use just on its own, right? So, so I'm really looking forward to kind of putting that piece of software into the people's hands and, and see how people use it. And that in itself is interesting, uh, but the other interesting thing there is that Mist server then becomes a gateway that people can easily leverage the LivePeer network with. That means they can run a, an instance of Mist server in their own video infrastructure, uh, handle the live streaming piece, uh, and also be able to transcode using the live peer network through however many instances of MIST server they, they decide to run, right? Um, so that's one. Um, the, other that, the other thing that I'm excited about is seeing more machine learning um, capabilities getting developed in the live peer 
uh, tech stack, right? So the the thing that I kind of demoed at Demuxed is this content recognition, content classification feature, where you know if you're running a live uh, UGC live streaming site, uh, then you might want to know that like no one is streaming you know adult content on your platform, or no one is streaming kind of uh, <laughs> Premier League soccer on your platform, right? Um, and 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 you know these types of machine learning models can easily help you catch that in an automated way, uh, and you know you can do whatever action uh, you you want to take um, based on that information. Um, but that's just one use case for kind of machine learning on video, right? There's lots of other use cases that that you can think about, whether it's you know object recognition. Or um, or it's like creating synthetic content in the video itself, making the video more interactive. And the powerful thing here is that because the project is open source, um, people have the ability to go in and and really customize the workflow for themselves and be able to chain all these um, all these like smart video features together, right? So for example, what I can do is I can recognize like a black square in a video and then replace that black square with like an ad that I want to run in the video, right? And there, all of a sudden you have like dynamic ad placement inside a live stream video, right? Uh, so so those are all kind of um, interesting capabilities that, I, that I'm excited to see in, in the ecosystem. Amazing stuff that, uh, that you're building uh, and also, you know, an awesome uh, tool and uh, open source framework and community uh, that you've already built. And uh, we learned uh, so much about it uh, in this episode. And I'm sure you're going to get a lot of new nodes and uh, users uh, for, for LiveBeer after this uh, episode, because uh, it's really useful and, uh, and, and compelling offering. So, uh, Eric, thank you for coming on uh, the Video Insiders. It was really great. Thank you, Mark and Dor. Really enjoyed this conversation. And um, yeah, thank you for having me. It was excellent. Well, we'll have you back, you know, in, I don't know, six months and get an update on how the project's going and, and where you're at. So yeah, best of luck. It's, it's really awesome what you guys have built. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, would love to come back. Give you guys an update. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, Dor, that was exciting definitely it's exciting to talk about it and now we have a new venture to start working on so we're gonna be busy <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how i'm gonna break that to my wife oh by the way <laughs> yeah one other thing i'm gonna do now one other thing and yeah, uh, yeah, it's gonna exactly. get uh, pretty hot in our basement with all those <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the gpu farm i'm gonna put there so yeah, uh, but okay right. And uh, to everyone out there, we're going to wish you this time happy decentralized encoding. Right, Mark? Decentralized encoding. That's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Go get your LPT. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.